40 here. I'm back in the USSA. No, USA. So, just as I was preparing to go live, I saw a video promoted to me by YouTube, and it was called, Nobody Cares About the Wiggers. Now, who does that sound like? Right? Isn't that... Aren't I always going on and on about how people don't care about our groups and how there's kind of this moral presumption in public discussion that we should care about all sorts of groups that we just don't care about? I mean, I have never lost sleep about Palestinian suffering or Arab suffering. And they've suffered. They've absolutely suffered. But because Arabs and Palestinians have, you know, been at war with the Jewish state, and, and with Jews over the past century, and as someone who converted to Orthodox Judaism, I just do not spend, you know, a whole lot of my empathy or virtually any of my empathy caring about what's going on for, for Palestine or for, for the Arabs. So I don't think they're any less human, that they're any less valuable, but I just don't think that much about our groups. And this is just an important point that uh, kind of gets ignored in public discourse is that we only have so much empathy okay we only have so much capacity for compassion and we're generally speaking going to use that on our for our family and our friends and then our in-group and very few people are going to have the capacity or the interest to care about our group so even though there are a few individuals who will care about our groups generally speaking nobody cares about our groups and nobody cares about the Uyghurs. I, I mean, I, do, do fellow Muslims even care that much about the Uyghurs? So if members of the, the Muslim in-group can't be bothered to care about you know, fellow Muslims who are suffering in China, why would non-Muslims care? So I'm back in the USA. I, I got in Friday afternoon, and I just thought I'd uh, drop off some reflections about returning to this country after two months away. So my two months in Australia were euphoric. I just loved my time in Australia. It was just great. It was just so fun. I just I couldn't wait to get outside of the house and go explore and go to the beach. And so off the top of my head, like LA seems dingy and, and dull compared to Sydney. That, that's my first impression, leaving LAX, you know, coming to, to Beverly Hills, that uh, overall LA seems, you know, much less beautiful, uh, much more dingy, much more dull than the eastern suburbs of, of Sydney. Now, on the other hand, I went for a walk this morning in Beverly Hills, and it was perfectly lovely experience. I don't think I've ever had a bad experience in Beverly Hills. I don't recall ranting crazy people in Beverly Hills. I don't recall homeless people in Beverly Hills. I don't recall strewn streets filled with trash in Beverly Hills. So... Beverly Hills, with, with its safety and its cleanliness and its niceness and its politeness, it's like Australia. Okay, it's, walking around in Australia is very similar to walking around in, in Beverly Hills. I, I got on the scales this morning. I weigh 161 pounds. So that's the same weight as I had in college. So I graduated high school at 145 pounds. I'm six feet tall. And then... By college, I was 160 pounds. Then, in the depths of my, my chronic fatigue syndrome, I went down to about 112 pounds at one point. It, that, that's when it became painful to lie on my side. 
but uh, what what helped me get over chronic fatigue syndrome, in part, was a drug called Nardil, an A-R-D-I-L. It's an MAO inhibitor, and it just dramatically increased my appetite for sweets. And so on Nardil, I went from 130 pounds to 170 pounds two months. So since age 27, I've spent most of that time at around 180 pounds, up to 190, I think is the most I've ever weighed is 190 pounds. Since getting on modafinil, the last uh, the last five years or so, I've been around 170 pounds. But I noticed or during the pandemic, I could never get it below 170. So I was usually between 171 and 175. But uh, essentially dropped about 10 pounds in Australia because I was exercising so much. I'm six feet tall. So I wanted to do this video Friday afternoon while reactions are really fresh. And while I was incredibly sleep deprived, I could hardly sleep on the plane. So when you go into a situation that's new, like your reaction is going to be much more fresh and clear and clean and precise. And then we quickly become habituated to whatever situation we're in. And so we lose, you know, we lose uh, the keenness of insight that we get when we're fresh to it, to a situation. So getting off the plane at LAX, uh, I realized that uh, life in life in LA, life in big city, America is much more stressful than life in big city, Australia, because there's almost nothing that we have in common with our fellow citizens. All right. So you, you get off the plane in, in, at LAX and many people don't speak English and life in LA and life in any big city is, is heavily tribal there. Like there's Orthodox Jews and there are, there are Hindus and there are Muslims and there are you know, Mexican Americans and people just don't have that much in common. So you get off the plane in Sydney and you're generally processed through customs by people who are very much like you. And so by contrast in the United States, it feels much more like the, the government is is regarding you as the enemy. You go through customs, it feels much more like, you know, the government scrutinizing you as a potential enemy. You go through through uh, customs in Australia and you deal with the government in Australia and you feel much more that the government's on your side. So Australia's disrespected Djokovic in a way I can never forgive. Well, I think about 80%, I think about 80% of Australians support what the government did with, with Djokovic. So... To, to insist that people be vaccinated to come to Australia seems reasonable to me. I don't have super strong opinion on that, but uh, it does does seem reasonable to me. And then if the law if that law applies to other people, then why would it not apply to Djokovic? I don't have strong opinions on the Djokovic. It wouldn't have bothered me if they'd allowed him to stay. But I just notice that, uh, according to polls, about eighty percent of Australians approve of uh, deporting uh, Djokovic. So the the Australian government uh, made, made a big deal of it and said, hey, you know, the same laws are going to apply to you as they apply to everyone else. So I think more people will sympathize with Australia and Australia's position than with Djokovic. But I understand that most of my audience, most of my audience is composed of dissidents. So my audience 
is going to sympathise, I think, much more with uh, Djokovic than, than with Australia. But I think uh, overall, most Australians sympathise with the Australian government's decision to deport him. Australia wishes to host major international events. They should make accommodations to those people who are with different positions on medical treatment. Why? Why? I think uh, most elites, I think, are on board with uh, vaccine mandates. So my reaction to that U.S. Supreme Court decision saying that uh, OSHA uh, can mandate that uh, large companies with more than 100 employees must mandate vaccinations, so the Supreme Court uh, struck that down. Now, as a matter of law, I don't have an opinion. But as a matter of public policy, I don't think the Supreme Court decision was in America's best interest. I think many employers wanted to rely on that mandate from OSHA to require their employees to get vaccinated because then they could require it and it would reduce their legal liabilities. So it's not, it's not that employers are just so gung-ho about vaccination in and of itself. It's that uh, employers and, and people with assets want to reduce their legal liabilities. And so some kind of government regulation that you have to insist that your employees be vaccinated, I think uh, big employers find that a relief because they can just point, hey, it's the, it's the government that's mandating that. I'm not mandating that. I'm not the bad guy. It's just, just the government. And then it reduces employers' liability. My screen time was down 46% last week for an average, average hour of two hours and four minutes. So... Now we just got all this hodgepodge, you know, with different states, different jurisdictions, with, with different vaccine rules, and it's going to create a much more chaotic situation. Luke Shaw should have should have warned Luke Ford should have warned Brittany. Uh, which Brittany? Are you talking about Brittany from politically politically provoked? Didn't she didn't she make a tweet saying the base takes and doxed her and the whole politically provoked team because uh, they wouldn't have him on their show. So I don't know if that's true. I hate doxing. So if if uh, base takes or anyone docks them, I, I don't like that. Like if you've got a disagreement with someone, you know, hash it out on, on the basis of the ideas, but don't try to hurt people in their in their real lives. Like don't go after how people make a living. You know, I'm not for boycotts, you know, I'm not for doxing, I'm not for harassment. Just, uh, you know, just uh, make your argument online if necessary. And otherwise, just go on with your life. Like I, I see people who just ruin their lives and they justify it by, oh, I'm standing up for what's right and true and good and I'm going to stand up for the community or I'm going to stand up to bullies. And they just go on these absurd absurd jihads, these absurd crusades to stand up for what they, they believe is right and they just ruin their lives and uh, so I've strenuously tried to avoid taking part in feuds so I've had some disagreements with you know, I've had disagreements with Ricardo and I've had disagreements with you know, other people but uh, I've been able to abstain from feuds and I certainly encourage anyone who, who listens to me to abstain with the uh, abstain from feuds. I just don't think that uh, feuds serve one. Okay, let's have a look at the chat. 
Australia must lose their privilege to host a tennis major. Well, most elites who decide these things are on board with vaccine mandates. Australia wishes to host major international events. They should make accommodations for those people of the world with different positions on medical treatment. Oh, so someone who like believes in witchcraft as as their type of medical treatment. You know, someone wants to come to Australia with leprosy, uh, with all sorts of transmissible diseases. Australia should just let them in. I think that's absurd. Most of Eastern Europe, who supplies much of the top tennis players in the world, do not agree. Uh, that doesn't matter. Eastern Europe doesn't have a great deal of pull. Right? Not many elites are in Eastern Europe. Most people in the Anglosphere fear, feel this way. It's not the norm in the world writ large. Well, it's the norm among elites, and elites decide these kind of things. And it seems a reasonable position that if you want to come to a country with very low rates of COVID, that they have strict regulations, such as perhaps vaccine mandates. Where did home go? So yeah, life in Australia was absolutely euphoric for me, but one, I hadn't been back to Australia in seven and a half years. Two, I've never spent much time in Sydney. So I was going around you know, a city that was largely unfamiliar to me from real life experiences. And three, my euphoria was subsidized by my family. So my brother, my sister, my stepmom, they all largely subsidized my trip. So I spent like $200 on ice creams during my two months in Australia, and I spent $300 renewing an Australian passport, but I was hardly out of pocket because I was being subsidized by, by family. So my euphoria paid for by my family. So it's very easy to feel euphoric when someone else is paying the bills, at least for me. It's very easy for me to feel euphoric when someone else is, is paying the bills. So I had a euphoric time in Australia, and I feel very tempted to move to the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And I was just reading an interview with the Prime Minister and, uh, of Australia, Scott, Scott Morrison, and uh, he said that, that he came from one of the less affluent uh, suburbs of, of Sydney, which was, I think, Bronte, which is right, right near where I want to go. But uh, Bondi is the burning core of Sydney Jewry. So there's more Jewishly going on in Bondi than anywhere else. And you know, I'm hearing that you know, many Bondi Jews, they don't like to leave the bubble because it's all there in Bondi. So Bondi is pretty expensive, affluent uh, Eastern Sydney suburb. I, yeah, I think I'd like to, like to live there. Bernard says, I think any country may set their own requirements for entry, however absurd some of them may seem. Yeah, every country has its particular culture. So by and large, Australians feel like their government is working for them and is on their side. So very different feeling from America. While Americans are quite uh, skeptical about their government, quite critical, uh, quite concerned, feel often feel, you know, much of the American population feel, feels like the, the government is, you know, overly intrusive and is not on their side. But by and large, I'd say about 80% of Australians feel that the government is on their side and is working in their best interests. While my perception of Americans is maybe 40%, like press one if you think the, the government is on your side and note the, the country that you live in, and press two if you feel like uh, the government is your enemy, and press three if you're indifferent about the government. So my perception is you know, about 40% of Americans feel like the government's on their side, about 30% feel like the government's the enemy, and about 30% are indifferent, while in Australia it feels like 
80% people feel like the government's on their side, you know, 10% feel like the government's the enemy and 10% are indifferent. Okay, tennis, a global sport, much of the top talent coming from Eastern Europe, they do not respect the Eastern European views on such matters. Uh, I don't think it's incumbent upon Australia or any country to respect Eastern European views on vaccination and how to combat COVID. So, yeah, getting off the plane at LAX and uh, navigating through Los Angeles traffic it just reminds me that life in big city America is much more stressful than life in, in big city Australia because you, there's no one common culture in America. It's just tribal. It's just split up into all these different groups where you just, generally speaking, you try to have as little to do with outgroups as possible. In Australia, there's one dominant culture. And 80% of the country shares it from the politicians to the people who pick up your garbage to the bank manager. Like 80% of Australians share a common Anglo culture. And so uh, that makes life a lot less stressful because you share a similar moral universe with most of your fellow citizens. So you can leave your laptop computer you can leave your iPhone, you can leave your wallet on the beach and it'll still be there when you get back out of the surf and come back to it. So you don't feel that way in Los Angeles or in big city America. Now, I think in small town America, you, you probably feel that, but, but in, in big city America, it's stressful because you have, have so little in common with, with your fellow citizens. So I, I, I get into LAX and I get out of LAX and start, you know, crazy ranting people, crazy ranting street people uh, I'm running into. Uh, and then just like a lot of other people, you know, from out groups, you just feel, you know, almost nothing in common with them. And so you don't really have much, much uh, desire to interact with them. So riding the bus or riding public transport in Australia is a much more pleasant experience than in big city America, you don't feel as alienated from your fellow citizens as you do in Los Angeles and big city America. And then you see the homeless in their blue tents you know, along you know, major boulevards in, in Los Angeles. There are hundreds of thousands of homeless people here. Like I think I saw three homeless people in Sydney. Now I'm sure there's more than that, but I only, in my five weeks in Sydney, I only saw three. Okay, let me go through the chat. Ah, so Spiritual Moms says uh, Base Takes did not dox uh, Brittany and company. It was a fake account owned by Adolf Hitler. Am I familiar with Andy Worski's redemption arc? No. So I, all I picked up on Twitter is that Andy Worski said something uh, about about uh, Ethan Ralph's father, and Ethan Ralph fired back. So the last I knew, Ethan Ralph and Andy Worski were working together. So is, and then Spiritual Mama says he did try to take a channel down though. So you're talking about base takes. Did he try to take down the channel politically provoked? And was it because uh, she wouldn't, they wouldn't have him on the show? Was I paid for working by my brother? Yes, I was paid. I'm an Australian citizen. I had a valid Australian tax file number. It was all on the books, all very legal. 
I was paid the legal rate for legal work for my brother. Uh, Spiritual Mamza says that uh, Brittany had Thomas Sewell on. I don't know who Thomas Sewell, S-E-W-E-L-L. I'm sure you don't mean Thomas Sewell. The black guy is about 90. Australians are a bunch of bogans. So many Australians don't even know what a bogan is. But uh, it's kind of a crass, working-class, uh, West Sydney uh, Australian. Is there a correlation between rents in Sydney neighborhoods and the number of poisonous snakes living there? Yes. So <laughs> I, did, I did see a snake in Manly, and I was just a little snake just slithering across the, the, uh, the ground. But generally speaking, the higher the rent, the fewer the poisonous snakes that are going to be living in your neighborhood. Generally speaking, that's true for Australia, for America, for any place in the world. Welcome back. Now we find out which nation he picks. Does he stay in Beverly Hills? Does he go for Australia? Does he go to Israel? Does he go big and join military service? Or does he move to lovely Detroit to join Mighty Duvid? So I was thinking about streaming live Friday afternoon as soon as I got home. But there's so much stuff that I wanted to clean up, get organized. I was so sleep deprived that on the one hand, though, I know that sleep deprived streams are the best streams because you have the least filter, right? No sleep, no filter. Um, on the other hand, I just didn't want to be bothered. Just didn't want to risk it. I was thinking about going live last night with Duvid, talking about the hostage situation at that reform synagogue in Texas. But then I thought, one, I don't have my technical setup. I'm not all plugged in. I've taken my, my Logitech stream cam with me to Australia. And when I was unplugging it from the back of my computer, something fell off. There was some attachment that fell off and I can't find it. But most important, I had nothing to say. I had nothing to say. Like, I saw this hostage situation. I, I followed it a bit on the news. I was uh, following the game last night. Not much of a game. The Buffalo Bills blowing out the New England Patriots. And I kept checking on the hostage situation. But I didn't have any, any hot take. It's, it, it was portrayed in the news as a Muslim trying to get a fellow Muslim freed from prison. And so he went into a synagogue and took four people hostage, including the rabbi. So what am I going to say? When you, what, when you um, import people who are in conflict in other parts of the world into your world, then you're going to have those kind of conflicts here. So I noticed that when Israel goes to war, when I walk around with a yarmulke, I get a lot more interaction about that. Strangers want to come up to me and talk about Israel. So when the Jewish state does something, I viscerally experience how much that affects how non, many non-Jews re, relate to, to Jews. So I just overall didn't feel like I had enough to say, and uh, I'm not set up to do a proper stream. What's the predominant Christian denomination in Australia? Anglican. Yes, it's the C of E, Church of England, what's known as the Anglican Church in Australia. So... Only about 4% of Australians go to church every week. Now, in the United States, it's supposedly 40%, but uh, I believe that number is greatly exaggerated. So I think the real number is something like 20%. <sighs> One great thing about living in the United States is how much stuff you can get at such a good price. You can get your groceries delivered. You can get... You know, every little implement in the world. So it feels good to be back in America. I really miss my stuff. Man. 
So I really miss my activator, like my right elbow. If I don't use my activator, my right elbow starts killing me. So when I use this activator, it's a chiropractic tool, right? It's a chiropractic tool. It uh, frees up tight muscles. And it's often tight muscles, the muscles that are in spasm, that, that then pull on bones, tendons attached to bones. Right? They pull on the bones and knock them out of shape. So if you get a chiropractic adjustment, put your bones back into place if it's a good chiropractic adjustment. But then the muscular tension is not addressed. So the muscular tension, muscular spasm, then pulls your muscles, then pulls the bones you know, back out of place. That's why a chiropractic adjustment doesn't last. So had all these aches and pains and I forgot to take my activator. This activator is great. I bought it for like $150 on Amazon. And then I bought a $150 textbook at the same time as an ebook on how to use it. And, and it was absolutely worth it. It saved me like thousands of dollars of conventional physical therapy because pretty much every ache and pain that I ever get, I can address through this. So it felt good to be back home with this. Then I forgot to bring my flex bar. And so, oh. So the flex bar is great because normally every time you use a muscle, you make it tighter. But with the flex bar, you see as I release it, it's lengthening muscles away from my sore right elbow. And so as I lengthen the muscles away from my sore right elbow, it reduces the pain. So when I was mixing potting mix for my brother, um, when I put the spade in the potting mix machine and let it pull, so I put the spade in so that it would pull the muscle away from my elbow and I got so much relief from pain. Now, I don't know if I did my brother's potting mix any good, but just sticking that, that uh, spade in the potting mix machine and then letting it pull pull the muscle away from my elbow like I basically had no pain for, for two days after that so yeah I got got paid by my brother and also I found out I only killed one plant only killed one plant during my my time so it wasn't a, a total disaster working for my brother what is western civilization I think western civilization is a politically correct name for Christian civilization and there's still Christian civilization, even if people still don't go to church and don't officially you know, believe any particular Christian doctrines. There's a particular ethos from Christianity. So I think Western civilization is the PC term for Christendom, Christian civilization. So one thing that struck me in Australia, even though not many people go to church every week, is how many Christian churches there are compared to other uh, religions. So... Yeah, you find the occasional synagogue, the occasional mosque. Uh, but overwhelmingly, to the extent that Australians have any relationship to religion, it's to Christianity. So also, 90% of private schools are Christian schools in Australia. And so the elites and people who want to be elite tend to send their kids to private school. And private schools are overwhelmingly either Anglican or Catholic. Did I see Ove's implosion? No. What's, uh, what's going on with Ove? So I remember having Ove on my show, and he was, like, drinking beer, 
and talking about how while drunk he was hanging upside down from a fence and then he fell and sustained a permanent injury so he's been on disability ever since and as I recall he's been intoxicated a great deal of the time that he's been on live stream so it's no surprise that someone who's intoxicated so much would would implode did Luke kiss the ground on my return to the United States no I did not but I my flight stopped in Fiji I, I transferred planes in, in Fiji and then what, 12 hours after I was in Fiji, there was a volcanic eruption nearby. And so the airport in Fiji is not far from the ocean. So I, I'm not sure there's like tsunami warnings from Eastern Australia to Fiji, Tonga, uh, all the way to the West Coast of the United States. So if any kind of big, big wave, like if there was any kind of tsunami, it would have... Uh, it would have gone over the airport that, that I flew into in, in Fiji. Most Australians don't know what a book is. Well, yeah, Australians tend to be fairly anti-intellectual, uh, but Australia does have like four or five of the world's top 100 universities. Oh, Thomas Sewell is an Australian neo-Nazi. He cites the work of domestic terrorist David Lane. Oh. Thank you. I didn't know about that. Do I meditate to fall asleep? No, I don't. And I should perhaps look into that. So what I usually do to fall asleep is I go to bed and I play an audible book all night. So I've been listening to, to Stephen Kotkin's multiple part biographies of Joseph Stalin. So I'll let that play all night or um, that, that three-part... Uh, series on Oliver Cromwell, uh, no, no, um, not on Oliver Cromwell, but on uh, 16th century Cromwell, who was an assistant to Henry VIII, uh, Hilary Mantel, her, her series. So I listen to that, or I listen to like books on World War II. I just let them play all night. And as I go in and out of sleep, it, it's easier for me to listen to a book because my mind's like a dangerous neighborhood that I don't like to go to alone. So I don't think it's a good idea for me to be thinking too much at night or when I go to bed. That's not going to help my sleep. So just to have something that's not too exciting but is moderately interesting, just let that play all night. So I, I don't meditate to sleep. Luke, can you explain the yarmulke to me once and for all? So uh, one, it's a tribal symbol. So like Sikhs wear a little sword you know, around... Uh, you know, around their necks. And uh, then there's a, a meaning to the yarmulke. It means, it, it refers to, you know, reminding you of who's above you, meaning God, that, that God's above you, and that you're accountable to God. Yeah, this activator is totally amazing. Like, if you're going to a physical therapist regularly, or if you've got aches and pains regularly, um, if you can reach reach the the areas that uh, are causing your aches and pains with the activator and learn how to use it right, get the textbook, then you'll save yourself a lot of aggravation. So I really miss this because I, I did so much exercise when I was in Australia that you know my, all sorts of muscles, which I didn't know I had, were just, just really, really sore. And if I remembered to bring my activator, I could have activated the, you know, much of the, the soreness and fatigue and tight muscles. I could have just 
taking care of it like that. I bet those Lebanese people in Sydney are checking out that yarmulke. So all the Orthodox Jews that I know from Australia, that I know in LA, they all told me that they much prefer LA because in Australia, every time they'd walk to shul wearing their yarmulke, wearing their you know, Hasidic garb, they would get verbally abused. And apparently that happened a lot more like 15, 20 years ago. But I, I wore my yarmulke about half the time that I was in Australia. So half the time I went without it, half the time I wore it, and I never once got any kind of abuse. So if I went to West Sydney, maybe you know, maybe you know, a lot more Lebanese, a lot more Muslims in Western Sydney. But there are a lot of you know, three percent of the population. It seems like in five uh, percent of the population in Sydney is Muslim, and maybe a third of them wear full Muslim regalia. And so I didn't see any Muslims getting verbally abused. I didn't see anyone getting abused the whole time in Australia, whether for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, for dressing in full Muslim regalia or for you know, dressing with a yarmulke. I didn't see or experience any abuse, verbal abuse in Australia. Luke is gunning for that strange new respect from the global elite, but it's an uphill battle. Well, what I'm gunning for is I realized I'd, I'd leaned far too much the dissident side. And I was, I was depressed, disgusted, disillusioned by the low IQ reactions of much of uh, the distant right, one to the Nathan Kofner's critique, and then two to COVID, and, and three to the 2020 election, making all these bogus allegations about voter fraud. So I found most of the, the distant takes on COVID, I found them bogus and low IQ and ill-informed. Uh, seemed like nobody on the distant right really wrestled with the Kofner's critique. And so Greg Johnson and Richard Spencer have both, you know, said that Kevin McDonald essentially was the most important intellectual in the, in the alt-right, and yet none of them did any wrestling with the Kofner's critique. So uh, I, I became disgusted with the low intellectual quality of much of the dissident right, and then the very low intellectual quality of conservatives in reaction to COVID and COVID restrictions. So I have shifted from a, a knee-jerk dissident reaction to the world that, you know, the elites are more often wrong than right to recognizing that there's no group that's going to be, you know, consistently right. And so it's not the elites and it's not the dissidents. So... Sometimes I side with dissidents, sometimes I side with the elites. And uh, it was just kind of, uh, I think, just maturity or growing up or, you know, realizing that it's not a magic key. You know, it's not, it's not the dissidents, it's not the elites, it's not, you know, conservatism, it's not uh, neo-reaction. Uh, so there, there, it just seems obvious from COVID to me that in some instances, big government is the answer. In other instances... No government is a better answer. In other instances, smaller governments a better answer. In other instances, like better government in this area. Uh, so kind of moving beyond like knee-jerk. You know, small government's the answer. Governments, big government's the problem to recognizing that there are some problems where government is the best answer and there are some problems where less government is a better answer.
Luke's hair grows pretty far. Yeah, so I got so many people saying how much they like my longer hair that I thought, okay, my natural inclination would have been to have shaved all my hair off two and a half months ago. But I heard from so many people that they prefer my longer hair that uh, I just let it grow. So yeah, my natural inclination is just to shave it all off. I heard from a lot of people that, uh, you know, they think I look like a thug when I have a shaved head. Probably more sun in Beverly Hills. Yeah, there, there maybe, probably it was overcast. Like 90% of the time I was in Sydney, it was overcast. So there is, uh, there is more sun. There's more sun, there's more blue sky in LA, more sunshine in, in LA. And yeah, the light here is beautiful. But oh, the smell, that's something that struck me. There was, I have very little sense of smell, very little sense of smell. But getting off the plane, getting outside of LAX, and it just smelled smoggy, even though the air quality was quite good. It just smelled, I don't know, how would you describe how LA smells? How does it Los but it was metallic or... Okay, here's an article in The Atlantic that says uh, LA smells of rotten eggs. So yeah, I kind of I kind of smell that. But okay, this was this was just uh, back in nine years ago. There was a, there was a smell. But what does what does you what does uh, what does Los Angeles smell like? But city of LA, so LA is so huge, it stretches from the beach to the mountains to the valley, so it smells differently depending on where you are. There is no smell that is Los Angeles smell, except for the smell of the native forest, chaparral, beaches and plants, which all have their own unique smell. Just walking down the street, I smell a different smell every few seconds. Well, over a hundred different smells in just five minutes, I could smell plants, flowers, bakeries and restaurants before I even see them. Uh, Los Angeles is low humidity, lots of wind from the ocean. It isn't very smelly compared to other places I've been. Anyway, I with, I think I have like 5% of the smell capacity of the average person. And I, I experienced a different smell moving out that was like distinct to me. There's like, hmm. It, so it wasn't horribly unpleasant. It just smelled like, just smelled like the city. It just... LA, uh, Sydney smelled much more like the fresh ocean breeze. So I, I noticed, I just was struck that I, with such a tiny sense of smell, was like, oh, you know, I smell something that's much more uh, gritty and kind of grim. Um, so common smells on dry days in Los Angeles, you got the wide variety of plants. So when you can smell the smart star jasmine in the evening, that's beautiful. Cigarettes, perfumes, restaurants. Uh, cannabis. Yeah, a lot more smell of cannabis in Los Angeles than in Sydney. Uh, vape fumes. Uh, vehicle exhaust. Yeah, that's what I think I smelled. Vehicle, that smell of vehicle exhaust. So it's not the jet fuel exhaust, which I love the smell of jet fuel, but vehicle exhaust, I felt like that was the dominant smell I experienced. Dust, uh, soil, dogs, barbecues, people cooking South Asian food, bakeries, people blowing leaves. So I did see some leaf blowers in Sydney and they're always used by white men. But 
only, I only saw like two or three leaf blowers during my five weeks in Sydney, so much f less use of leaf blowers in Sydney compared to Los Angeles. So a lot more crazy people in LA, you know, ranting people, seemingly dangerous people, uh, a lot more homeless people, you know, homeless in blue tents, uh, I struck that. Um, yeah, a lot of smell of fabric softener and laundry, laundry detergent near apartments and condos. Uh, rainy days here smell differently. Uh, smells become more volatile. Yeah, so you smell the wet concrete and the asphalt, wet clothing, wet hair, wet plastic, wet metal, wet paper and cardboard, vehicle fluids. Okay, I am uh, I'm streaming, sc scrolling through your comments in the chat. So I went to the uh, went went to the to take my my clothes to dry cleaning, and uh, the dry cleaner said. Wow, you've lost a lot of weight. And he patted his belly. So, yeah, I've lost 10 pounds. And it's like eight of those 10 pounds are probably from around my belly. How many kangaroos did you see on the trip? I am not sure. I don't think I saw any kangaroos. And normally in Tandem Sands, I, see, I don't think I saw any kangaroos on this trip to Australia, I think, for my first time in Australia. What the hell is going on with the rat plague ravaging farms in Australia? No idea. Mr. Ford belongs within the global elite. I do enjoy hanging out with the elite. I do. I enjoy hanging out with really smart, really accomplished, really powerful people. I love that. So some people love hanging out with celebrities. I ha love hanging out with the elite. I do. I love it, love it, love it. The Blue Tenters, they welcomed Luke back to the USA. So blessed. He missed them on his walks. In U.S., 50% of all homeless are in California. Yeah. I disconnected from social media and the news since starting a new job, only now hearing about the hostage situation. Yeah, so I think it's a great idea to disconnect from the news and from social media uh, at times. And then to adjust, you know, what percentage of news and social media serves you. So, for example, I spend probably an average of... Uh, 10 minutes a week on Facebook, and I find that serves me. You know, other people spend hours a day on Facebook. I don't see how that serves you. Have I had any Mexican food since your return? Yeah, I made myself nachos. I heard that the West Coast got hit with a tsunami. Yeah, it's from a volcano in Tonga, and a tsunami hitting the West Coast just means that, you know, waves are perhaps a half a meter higher than, than normally. Normal, but many of the West Coast beaches and the East Coast beaches in Australia were closed. Yeah, so other people like to listen to semi-interesting audiobooks. That's how they fall asleep. Did Luke keep paying for TV? I don't pay for TV. I kept paying for internet while on holiday and, and for rent. So I can never tell if Luke is being serious about these things. Yeah, I usually kind of aim for that midpoint between sarcastic and non-ironic whatever reason I just get joy out of throwing things out there that people can't tell whether I'm being serious or not but I'm, everything I've said about the activator is I'm 100% unironic dead serious I used to listen to history podcasts or Lex Friedman to fall asleep but now I found going to bed 30 minutes early and doing sleep induction meditation has 
made falling asleep much easier. That's fantastic. I should probably try that. Uh, Glib says, I spent yesterday, oh, sex toys. So one thing that surprised me, I saw two adult shops in Gladstone and various adult shops in Queensland. And Queensland's usually being quite puritanical. So I was surprised by all the marital aids and adult shops in Queensland. So I asked a married person if marital aids make marriages better. And uh, this person said no, that it's normally people who aren't married who use marital aids. I spent yesterday researching new bikes. My current bikes needs 300 in repairs. It's a good machine. I might just be trying to fill a spiritual void. <laughs> Big government in the U.S. is not good because of all the tribes fighting for power. Well, that's my basic instinct. But at, a, say, a time of war or dealing with something like COVID, then I think uh, big government is a better solution than, than small government. I miss the smell of England. Yes, I am an Anglophile. Love, love, love England. I hear they have amazing non-meat in Australia. Uh, maybe from the Sanitarium Health Food Factory. There was one at Avondale College where I grew up. The LA smell is disgusting, but the smog makes for superb sunsets. Yeah. I'm currently living in an idyllic setting, but the tranquility here is constantly ruined by leaf blowers. Yeah, the def see, there's where I think you need government regulation to restrict the use of socially obnoxious things like leaf blowers to you know just certain days and certain hours. A certain ex-president did a big speech. He is sticking with his story about his non-defeat and cited some investigation results. Yeah, so... Is Donald Trump leading the Republican Party off a cliff or is he leading them to resounding victory in 2022? If he simply stayed out of the way, the Republicans should have a resounding victory in 2022 in both the House and the Senate. But uh, Trump has got to be the overall favorite for Republican nomination for president for 2024. But at this point, I don't see how he can win the 2024 election because I think he's alienated people in the suburbs. Like he, that's where he lost the 2020 election. He dropped about three percentage points in the suburbs. So at this point, I'm not seeing how he can win the 2024 election. Okay, got some football to prepare for. Go Cowboys. Talk to you later.